Hello everyone and welcome back to yet another episode of Stronger Self Radio. In these episodes, me and other influencers from around the world will help bring you inspiring and insightful content in the topics of fitness, business, lifestyle, mental health, and personal development to help ignite your passion for creating a better world and living your best life. I'm your host, Caleb Spiro, and let's find out what makes you into your most powerful, empowered, and strongest self. It's cool, man, because I met you at uh, Amanda uh, Bucci's event all the way back, like literally a year ago, pretty much, um, or really close to a year ago. So it's been it's been cool to see how you have been able to progress and just build your business and just grow your impact. It's really really cool. And um, and one thing I just want to start off by saying is that I just I really genuinely appreciate your content. I think you've put a lot of hard work into it, and I think you you are a very genuine human being who wants to help a lot of people, and I think that that's really, really cool. So I guess I want to start this podcast by asking you this question. Why did January 2016 change your life? Honestly, man, I was going through such a hard time at that point in my life. I I would like honestly wake up every single day and have such a hard time getting out of bed to go to work. And it was, it was extra hard for me at that point because I lived a life that everyone thought was good and it looked great from the outside. Um, I had a supportive girlfriend and I had great friends. I had a six figure job um, and I was getting along with my family. Like everything was good from the outside in. Um, but I always felt unfulfilled and felt like something was wrong. And that put more weight on me even because I, I thought that like, maybe there was something wrong with me because everyone else thought my life was so ideal and, and I didn't. So, so that was tough for me. Um, in, in January, 2016. Yeah. I was going through a hard time. And that was before I transitioned into any sort of entrepreneurship. So can you talk about that? Um, just what was it like a feeling you were like, something's off, like I'm missing a sense of purpose. Like, was there like a yeah, specific I'm, moment where you're like, I need to just go for it? Or like, how did how did you figure this out, man? Yeah, so what happened is I was working that job. Um, and it was it was really laid back job. Like, I, I didn't really have to do much. We slept at work, we played poker, we had barbecues. Um, it was pretty chill. But I always felt like something was missing and it's not something that just started in January, 2016. It's something I had right from any time I had a job when I was about 15 years old is I honestly hated having a boss. I hated being told what to do. And I just couldn't like understand that I had to get up at 6am or 7am and go to work all day. And then you come home when the sun's going down. Uh, and it just seemed like such a waste of life And January, 2016, it was really hard uh, at that point. And then my grandfather, uh, who I grew up with, he passed away. And I was still like really, really close with him, obviously. And so that was a big kind of an eye opener for me. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like wasting my time here. So I kind of quit immediately. I, I quit about three days after my grandfather died. And I looked for an escape route. So some sort of new strategy. And what it was is a friend of mine 
he owned a supplement store and I, I went to him and I said, dude, can I franchise one in St. Albert? Can I, that's where I grew up. I was like, can I start uh, another one of your supplement stores? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So I found other investors and we opened a supplement store and I paid myself like $16 an hour or less. I, I can't even remember uh, about 2,400 bucks a month, I think. Is, is what I was paying myself. And it was probably the best decision I ever made. Why did you feel such a drive to start opening up the shop? And how did that lead to sort of then transitioning into coaching? Um, I chose the shop simply because I was into fitness at that time. And I had a lot of knowledge around supplements. And when I got that previous job, this the one making six figures, the goal was actually just to work there until I saved enough money to start a gym. And so I don't know, I can't specifically tell you why I chose a supplement store instead of a gym, but I went with the supplement store. And yeah, I mean, I took that huge pay cut, but it just made me so much happier to be at least doing something that I was interested in rather than like working in an oil transloading facility, right. <laughs> which I had no real interest in. How did you transition from then working at the supplement store to then kind of going on Instagram or, or, you know, kind of starting your, your, your business, your, your, I guess your personal brand, if that's what you want to call it. I hadn't come to the realization yet that I needed to be helping people in order to feel fulfilled. I just knew that the supplement store was at least a step in the right direction in terms of happiness because it was something I would enjoy. So it was while I was working there, um, that I started working on my Instagram. But to be completely honest, it was super half-assed and I would just post here and there and I didn't really use it for business. Uh, I just had a lot of free time while standing in the supplement store in between customers and stuff like that when no one's in there. You're just on the computer. So I had lots of free time to work on that, but it wasn't until I quit working at the supplement store in June of 2016. So it would have been about April or so that I kind of, I needed to have a real sit down with myself and figure out what it was that felt so wrong. Because even though I was slightly happier, I was still like, I can't do this forever. Just like wake up, go sit at the supplement store. Like this is not a life that I want to live. And so I knew I was extremely grateful for everything in life. And it took me a while to come up with figuring out that what was missing was fulfillment. I, I kind of just spent some time online researching for a while about like what really defines happiness for most people and it was fulfillment and gratitude so i figured in order to be fulfilled i had to help people and it kind of like hit me so obviously i was like well no shit like we are the human race so i think in a way we're we're kind of obligated to help each other survive and yeah. thrive so um that's that was kind of like the realization was in the start of 2016 there working at the supplement store in June, the middle of June, we decided that we were going to dissolve the supplement store. So we were, we failed epically at that business to be completely honest. Uh, I tell people that now, like we went into it with no knowledge whatsoever on sales, marketing, business, anything. So it was going downhill from day one. But when we decided there was two weeks left till we were going to close the doors, that was, that was kind of when I was like, well, let's make Brains for Brawn work because my options are to either make it work or go apply to another real people job. And I know that they have never worked for making me happy in the past. Yeah. So you basically had two weeks and that must have been some crazy two weeks. 
but it sounded like it, it worked out. So, uh, or it was in the process of being worked out, which is really cool. So you kind of started so at, so around like April 2016, I think that's when you said that's that was kind of your first month of, of doing an online business. I think you said you made like $410.52 or something like that from one of your Instagram posts I was yeah, reading. $410.52. Yeah, exactly. So what were some of the key steps that you had to take to really be able to build your coaching business to like the level that it's at now, like, and not even just in terms of like making six figure, like that's great. I'm really happy for you, but just also in terms of being able to really impact people's lives. The company wasn't working like April, May, in April, I made the $410.52, but the company wasn't really growing. It would just get like a client here or there, a couple hundred bucks um, as a side income. But when I knew I had those two weeks left, I knew that something had to change. And so I, in my own mind, I figured the company was pretty much an like a failure. Like I was like making $400 a month pretty much is as good. Like it couldn't get any worse. So I made a list of everything I was doing in social media and in my business. So it was like posting three times a day at that point because uh, I was trying to make it grow. I was showing my physique a lot. And so I just made a list of everything I was doing. And then I made an opposites list. And I figured if I try everything, the complete opposite, I really have nothing to lose because the company's not like excelling. And at worst, it'll give me, or at best, I guess, it'll give me a an idea of what end of the spectrum I should aim towards. So when I switched all that stuff, I went to posting once a day, long posts, took my physique off Instagram. It actually really helped the company grow. And in those two weeks, I made about $2,700, I believe. And then the company kept growing from there. But to answer your question as to what I think made it work so well is I think the biggest contributor is that I never gave anyone something that they couldn't stick to, which we can talk about more, but I think that adherence, even though people talk about it all the time and how important it is to be able to have a program you can stick to and that the best diet is the one that's you can stick to and all that stuff, I still think a lot of people don't follow it as well as they think they should or think they do. So when I say like, I never gave someone they couldn't stick to, I mean, like if someone told me they only had time to work out two days a week, I made them a two day program. I wasn't the guy that would make them a four day and be like, yeah, I just want you to really push yourself and try super hard to squeeze it in on Saturday mornings at 4am. Because I think the the mental part uh, of any transformation is so much more important. And so into two weeks into a program, if someone has already not stuck to how many days you program them or their nutrition or whatever, they're already starting to feel like a failure. And the negative chain of events from there is is astronomical. So if someone can feel like a success and, and they feel like they're crushing it, then the transformation on the physical side is easy. Well, I, I like what you said, Juan. I think you said if you can't empathize with people, build report and communicate effectively, your knowledge in nutrition and training is sort of irrelevant. And I thought that was a really interesting point because you can know all this information about nutrition and training, but at the end of the day, if you can't sort of gauge what people's like motivation level and what works with their schedule, it's really deeper than that. And just, I think, and also just in a way enjoying the process because it's not, you know, if something's not enjoyable, it's not going to be sustainable. And if it's not sustainable, then they're not really going to be consistent. And it's interesting. I was reading one of your posts and you said like, from a coaching perspective, like then as coaches, it's like, you know, if people don't adhere to your plan, it's like, oh, well, 
you know, either I don't know what to do or, you know, like the client doesn't have enough motivation. They don't really want to work with me. Like that's their fault. And it's, that's not really the right way to think about it, especially as, as coaches, you know? And so I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, wanting to really, how, how do you craft a program and how do you build a relationship with them too, that can best serve them? So that, that makes a lot of sense. Before you went into this, did you seek any sort of mentorship, uh, like, or at least later in the process? Like, uh, did you hire other business coaches or anything, or did you mostly sort of just figure it out as you, as you went? When I got into fitness coaching, I did not seek any sort of mentorship. To be honest, I didn't really know any online coaches at that point. Uh, I didn't have like a big social media following, so I didn't have online coach friends around the world or anything, and I didn't know anyone locally that was doing it. So yeah, I guess this was I didn't really have a so mentor. Kind of rare. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as popular yet. I think like I knew of like Lane Norton and certain people, but it wasn't really popular where I'm from, anyways. So I didn't have anyone to talk to about it, but I figured I could I could make it work. And uh, about a month or two into the business, I I was getting so many clients that. It sounds weird because most people think the biggest issue in business is not getting clients, but I got so many that I was so overwhelmed and stressed out and had no idea what to do in terms of like taxes or even organizing my clients or how to take payment properly or anything. Uh, so all of that is actually what overwhelmed me to like wanting to quit multiple times. So I've kind of just consistently thought in my head that I'm going to be open to meeting a mentor because I need someone to walk me through all these initial steps in the business, like clean up all the back end stuff. And I was at a hair appointment and I was getting my hair cut. And I told my hairstylist, I said, like, I'm just, I want to meet a mentor. I'm looking for a mentor, someone to help me with my business. And she was like, Oh, the next lady coming in is this local business leader. She's won a bunch of awards for all these businesses. And I was like, Oh, cool. So I actually stayed for that lady's appointment. Her name is Patricia. Um, and I talked to her the whole time she was getting her hair cut. And then she kind of became my mentor. So um, that that was nice because I didn't have to like pay her for mentorship. We became friends and she mentored me for free and helped me with all that stuff. So I had help on that front, um, but I didn't have any mentors in terms of like nutrition or training, coaching, anything like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were, I think you were knowledgeable, pretty knowledgeable, because I know that you competed a lot and, you know, fitness was a big part of your life. Um, but that's cool. That, that's kind of a funny story how you just kind of meet people in that way and it just kind of works out like that. So that's, that's really cool. So I was also reading one of your posts where you said um, you were kind of analyzing, I think this was when you turned 27, you were kind of analyzing your 26th year of life. And I'm going to quote you on this post. You said, I've always, and I, I, kind of shortened it a little bit, but I said, you said that you've always been a lone wolf who is, who is completely happy and satisfied living in solitude. But this year you really embraced that more than any other year. Previously, you said, sometimes I, you know, you hear from friends, family, or just, you know, society in general is, you know, you really need to spend less time working and actually go out, or you really need to, to, you know, to do something fun. And for you, it's like, almost like the business is, is your passion. Like we said earlier, this is something that is uh, really fun for you. And it's, it's interesting because you said that like, you know, you remember a time where you used to see entrepreneurs, like popular entrepreneurs preaching like 15 plus hour work days. And you would think that's not really a way to live. Like that doesn't really sound free in any way. 
And it can be really discouraging to see someone who has, you know, quote unquote, the motivation to work 15 hours a day, every single day. And you said to yourself, well, shit, you know, if that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur, I don't know if I'll ever be one. And, you know, you used to think those thoughts, but now you really, really understand because you were talking about how working on, you know, uh, I don't know, do you still call it Brains for Braun? I know that you changed your Instagram name, but anyway, your business is more fun to you than, you know, going to the park. It's more fun than going on a roller coaster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was actually laughing because you were like, I would even cho- chose, choose this over sex. And then you're like, okay, well, at this point, I think he's lost his fucking mind, but I'd have to argue against the speculation. <laughs> That's what you wrote. Which I, I thought that was great. Um, anyway, but I'm, but I, what I wanted to relate all this to is, is, is now, uh, and I've been reading some of your, your newer posts, you're like, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I grinded. I'm glad I bid my business up. But now you, you said that you're trying to almost allow, I don't want to say more love into your life, but like trying to embrace the lessons that like love can t- love and connection and how valuable that is. I guess right now in, in your life as an entrepreneur and, and as a human being, of course, let in uh, people and start doing those things that you were so n- not doing in the past because you were so focused. Like, cause I, I feel like one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is just always having that drive of always wanting to do more. Is it sometimes hard to balance that and kind of have a quote unquote normal life? I think, um, what happened is I, I live so much in solitude, uh, like you spoke about, that I got to a point where anytime I was going through a hard time or had any stresses, I had no one to talk to. And I, I honestly, like, I was like, I literally have no friends. And it was my own fault. I created that reality. But when I was going through super difficult things, there was just no one for me to reach out to. And I was like, this is such an issue that I have created for myself because I'm just so distant from everyone. So when people would text me or reach out or say, do you want to hang out? I would always say I'm busy or I can't or whatever. And so if you keep doing that for an extended period of time, people just stop asking you to hang out or to do things. And and that's the point I was at where I was like, I, I literally have zero friends. So I have a great business and on social media, it looks like I'm just crushing everything. But on the friendship front, I have, I have none. So I knew that that was an issue and that was something that I needed to prioritize more uh, this year. And so I have. And as far as being able to take a step back from business, um, I think it was really easy for me because a few months ago, I, I had a serious talk with myself about how successful I think I need to be in order to not only live my selfish desires out to be true, but to also help the amount of people I want to help, which I guess technically is also a selfish desire. So like for me, I had to have that talk with myself because I don't want to be a billionaire. Like I have no aspirations for that. So I'm like, why, why do I need to be working 24 seven all the time when I already live a lifestyle that is far beyond what I actually, or I I guess my income is far beyond what I need to live the lifestyle I need to live. So it was, it was an easy choice for me to be like, I'm going to slow down the train from a hundred miles an hour to 50 miles an hour. And I'll continue to progress in, in my business and everything, but I can spend more time on personal relationships uh, and actually developing like real life bonds with people versus just spending all my time with my computer. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I pre- appreciate you being open and honest about that. And I think, you know, anyone who has a lot of passion for something, it can be, it's a really hard balance sometimes. And I and I hear what you're saying when, when you say it's kind of like, it's an easy decision to make in the sense of like, you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants to be loved and 
accepted and, you know, and, and have friends and, and feel loved. And this business was a part of your life. It was your lifestyle. You know, it's like grinding like almost all the time. Right. And then trying to step a, you know, away from that. Do you feel, did you feel like a loss of mm, productivity is not the right word, but did you feel like, uh, I don't want to say like a loss of purpose either, but was it, was it sort of difficult to, to do less of your work, I guess, even though you did appreciate letting others into your life and, 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 you know, embracing more love, do you, do you, did you sense any sort of struggles with that process or was it still pretty easy to make? Um, I would say it's not difficult, uh, or it wasn't difficult, but it does require a certain level of upkeep. So like for me, it's easy to do as long as I am very intentional about creating those relationships and staying in contact with people and making sure I spend time with people. Because as soon as I stop being intentional about it and I ignore it, I default right back to just working all the time. Yeah. And so it is something I have to be conscious of and be like, no, you've done enough for today. Like you made your list of five to do's and you did it. So close your computer and go hang out with people or go for a walk downtown or go to the gym or go do something other than working all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I just have to no. be strict to myself because as soon as I, as soon as I stop being strict about it, then I just go back to working all the time. Yeah, dude, I, I definitely feel that and I understand that. So thank you for opening up about that. But it's interesting because, you know, uh, you have also said that, you know, sometimes being alone, and I would agree with this statement, is also, you know, it can be one of the most educational years or time for that matter of, of your life. I guess looking back retrospectively, do you think you could have done it the way that you did a little bit more balanced? Or do you think you had to really kind of isolate yourself in the way that you did to learn the lessons that you had to learn and and grow as a human being and also grow as a business that, you know, that is turned into. I think is on a business front, I definitely could have still achieved the same thing. Maybe not as fast um, as I did, but I definitely still could have got to where I am now. But I, I think that it happened for a reason. And, and I think it was all meant to be that way because it really like, like I said, opened me up to the fact that I had no one close to me that I could speak to. Like everyone, when I was like, oh, who should I talk to? Because I'm going through this hard time. I need some advice. It was like, well, I have business acquaintances and social media friends, which as we know, are generally not like a real, real friend to the point where like, you're going to talk about something super deep or uncomfortable with. Yeah. So I th I think that year of solitude was, was good to have that super eye opener where I realized I had no one to reach out to. But yeah, on a business front, it, it definitely did help me succeed um, at a faster pace because <laughs> I because I didn't really spend any time doing anything else. But yeah, you said that you truly believe that the quality of your life is you know partially determined by the quality of questions that you're asking. So I'm kind of curious, like what kind of questions are you really trying to you know ask yourself right now? Honestly, the the question that weighs on me the most right now is is kind of something I briefly touched on, but it is how much uh, success or money or whatever, however you want to define it, do I need in order to achieve all the things I want to achieve? And so right now, it's a really tough thing for me because if I was going to just make enough to live my lifestyle, what I want to live the way I want to live, I really don't need that much money. Um, but if, if I'm talking about how much money I need to help everybody that I want to help, then I need to make significantly more. So uh, that's one of the things that I, I struggle with right now is 
where, how do I find that balance of like we talked about working to a point where you reach the level of success you want to reach, but also having the life balance. And so I think it's, it's probably something that's ever changing what yeah. you think your ideal life balance is. But, um, that's, that's definitely the question that I, I ask myself the most right now is, is how much money and what level of success do I need to live my lifestyle, but also help all the people that I want to help. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's very hard, man, because, you know, I know that you said like, you don't want to be a billionaire, but st I mean, you know, it, it's a spectrum, right? Money is a spectrum, helping people's kind of a spectrum in a way. So it's like, it's, I, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of frustrating to not know in, in some ways that there's, you know, necessarily a definitive point. And then if we try to set one in our heads and we reach it, do we actually get there? And are we happy? You know, cause, cause there is something about, it's not just about, in my opinion, like reaching points. It's also about sort of enjoying the process and the journey as well. And part of the journey also sort of, you know, and growth and just continuing to want to grow in life and personal development and business and everything there's kind of, in a way, there has to be, quote unquote, no like true end set point. And so I hear what you're saying about trying to, how hard it is to really ask yourself, what, you know, what do I want? You know, because there's always more money. You know, there's always, there's always more people that you can help and, uh, and so many other metrics. So yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying, man. Out of all your experiences with like working with clients, what do you think makes a difference between not just like a good coach and a great coach? really like a great coach and an exceptional coach? To me, the first thing that comes to mind is, is experience. And, and when I say that, I don't mean experience in coaching. I mean, experience in you've been where your client has been. So um, a lot of coaches, whether it be in fitness coaching or business coaching or, or really anything, um, have not been where their client has been. And so it makes it very, very hard to empathize on the purest level when you have not been there. So when you're working with clients, your ideal client, and they're experiencing struggles that you have been through in the past, it makes it so much easier for you to relate and point them in the right direction, because you know how they're feeling, and you know what they're going to feel next and all that, that type of thing. So I think coaches that have been through the same type of struggles and wins that their clients have been through and are going to go through, uh, are the coaches that become the most exceptional you 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 really do relate to people uh and and i think in a really um touching way and i think it's really cool because you were able to use a lot of the struggles that you faced when you were competing and just getting into business etc or not business excuse me fitness um and I, you know bodybuilding whatever and you realize that kind of in the beginning of your fitness journey i should say like the ways that you were eating and training were very like restrictive and and limiting and it kind of had a negative effect on your mental health. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like it's not always talked as much uh, openly. Um, maybe I know with you, but not with maybe other people. Can you talk a little bit about, about like kind of what the struggles that you were going through and I guess in a way how that ended up helping you being a really good coach, like you said, like being able to be relatable in that sense. Yeah. So I went through, uh, two competition preps and both of them I did with a super restrictive approach. Um, I, I ate the typical like brown rice, chicken breast and broccoli for every single meal. And I did that for months leading up to my first show too. And it's neat because the first show, 
uh, going into it, eating those, like even in the off season, I guess the, the months leading up before I started a diet, I only ate the brown rice, chicken and broccoli. And it never bothered me. Um, and even all the way leading into the show through the whole diet, I never had cravings for anything else. I never wanted to cheat. Um, I did the show. I won the overall. And then after the show, I, uh, same thing. I, but in a negative way, I did not eat anything outside of brown rice, chicken, and broccoli. So when the show ended, I went out for sushi that night. And then right from then forward, I went back to brown rice, chicken, and broccoli. And it didn't even bother me. But then I realized that the reason I was doing it is because I was so scared of ruining the physique that I had just won with. Like, I didn't want to get fat again. <laughs> so I just kept eating brown rice, chicken breasts, and broccoli, thinking that that was the only way I could possibly maintain my physique. And it, and it, it was that in itself was a negative relationship with food. Like, I was scared. I remember at work when I worked that job where we would have barbecues and play poker and stuff, it was a Christmas time and like the kitchen was just full of delicious foods. And I would just sit there and eat my brown rice and chicken and broccoli because I was so scared to even try anything else, uh, thinking that I would immediately get fat. And, th and then I had an opposite approach into the, my second show. I had the same coach, same type of diet, brown rice, chicken and broccoli, but something in my mindset had obviously changed because I wanted to cheat all the time I would like eat potato chips and then I would just take, I, I wouldn't even measure them, but I would just eat potato chips and then I would take some brown rice out of my next meal and be like, Oh yeah, that's the same thing. <laughs> and then, uh, so I cheated all the way up to the show. And I mean, it, it proved itself to be effective in the way that I got 20th at that show out of like 40. And then the next, that, I mean, that, after that's the like, show, I mean, that was, I, if it fits your macros at its core, right? Well, no, like what I'm, yeah, I guess, but I didn't know what, if it fits your macros was at that point, I was still just like a hardcore clean eater, mm -hmm. but I knew that if I ate some potato chips, I should probably just take some rice out of my meal. And I just assumed that it was the same. Um, but I didn't weigh or track anything at that point. I was just following the meal plan of like 200 grams, rice, hundred grams, chicken, whatever. Like I didn't even know the calories. And so after that show, I, then, then I like super binged, like, so it was so neat to have such a contrast between the first show and the second. But after the second show, I pretty much binged like for three to four weeks, like nonstop. Like I would order like two pizzas a day. I would go to save on foods and go to like the bulk aisle and take tons of like chocolate covered almonds and whatever or chocolate bark. And I would just like eat nonstop all the time for like three to four weeks. And so I did gain a lot of weight back, obviously, but it was such a, such a contrast from the first show that that I definitely got to experience both ends, like the being afraid to eat because you don't want to get fat, but then also eating everything in sight and not being able to control yourself and, and knowing that it's detrimental to your mind and to your physique, but just not being able to stop. Um, so I, I definitely went through that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I, I really appreciate you being really open about that. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything to be, I know you probably know this, but just for people who might be listening, like there's, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about, you know, in that. And I think that there's so much guilt that is surrounded by, you know, binge eating and not being perfect or not, and, and fears also like with not being lean or shredded enough or, you know, being afraid of fat, like, those are all very real things, especially the more and more you get into fitness. 
So I appreciate you speaking up about that, especially as a male, but also for humans not to gender this at all, because it does happen to both genders, of course. But I think it's really cool to see, for me at least, a male speaking up about it, because even though in total it's not being speaked up as much as I think it should, I think for, for, for at least what I've seen on social media and for people I've talked to, females are talking about it more, which is really freaking cool. But anyway, just as a, as a male, I really appreciate you speaking up about that. So thank you. So how did you end up sort of transitioning out of that fear, out of those fears, or I, and maybe not completely, but like, how did you, how did you kind of approach a more balanced lifestyle? How did you end up helping yourself in a way? Honestly, I hired a local coach who at the time he was like preaching macros um, and it was no one else was really talking about it. And so I was just like, might as well give it a shot because I'm not competing or getting ready for a show or anything. So if my whole physique falls apart, it's okay. Because um, I didn't know. And no one really knew either. They all kind of, everyone was kind of skeptical at first because it's like, what do you mean you can eat donuts and Skittles and whatever? <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, whatever, I'll give it a shot. And um, I think just spending time actually tracking intake and, and being able to eat whatever I wanted, of course, it, it obviously took a lot of the temptation away as time goes on because you can fit those things in. And once you reverse diet and your calories get higher, you can actually fit a donut without having to starve the rest of the day uh, and stuff like that. But then when I stopped working with him, what I did is I took my own progressive steps towards a more intuitive lifestyle. So although I was tracking calories, carbs, fat, protein, and fiber at that point, I started to remove things. So then instead of tracking everything, I tracked calories and protein and fiber. And so I quit tracking carbs and fat and just let them fall where they may. Uh, as long as my calories were hit, it didn't matter to me. And then I stopped tracking protein and I just tracked calories and fiber. And so that was pretty much... Knew it, because you roughly knew at that point, you know, I'm roughly hitting, you know, each protein each day. And you could, you knew that like without tracking, you could still get pretty close, right? Yeah, well, that and like, I just knew that if carbs and fats fluctuated up or down for the day, as long as my calories were hit, it didn't really matter in terms of my physique. So um, and, and then once I got rid of protein, yeah, I kind of just like, you just eyeball it like you're just like, okay, I already know what 200 grams of chicken looks like. So like, that's 40 grams of protein, whatever. And eventually, I just got to a point like, I mean, the last three, two, two years or so, I haven't tracked anything. But um, I got to a point where like, I don't even guess now, like I don't look at stuff and, and go, oh, I think that's roughly uh, 40 grams of carbs, 80, whatever. Uh, I just don't even guess. I can just, it just seems natural. Um, but like, but there do, definitely do was you, a point do you where... Portion size? Do you think you kind of portion size a little bit? Do I think I use portion sizes? Yeah, like if you're eating three meals a day, you'll be like, oh, okay, like I kind of know that like this much meat and I eat this three times a day, like that's pretty good. Like each meal, does that make sense? Yeah, no, at this point, like, to be honest, I don't try to hit any certain number or anything. So like, I'm sure some days my protein is literally like 70 grams, while other days it's like 200. And it's just because fitness at this point for me is is more about feeling healthy and being healthy and, and not about whether or not my mm -hmm. biceps grow or anything like that. So I'm not super adamant about hitting a certain protein, carb, fat or calorie number. But as far as like knowing whether or not I'm overeating or undereating, it sounds weird, but I actually go by how full I am. So after oh, I eat a meal, like, yeah. So well, people are always like, "How can you guess the calories by how full you are?" And I'm like, 
I've yeah. just figured out over time that like a 1500 calorie meal makes me so full that I can barely walk. So I can kind of like gauge based off there, like how full I am. I can kind of guess the calories pretty close. So um, at the end of the day, when I'm going to bed, if I feel super full and it's pretty obvious, right? Like if we ate a pizza and three subs and 19 beers that day, like we kind of know, but um, I use, I use how full I am as a gauge. So if I'm super, super full off a meal, then I kind of know that it was between 12 and 1500 calories type thing. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you speaking up about that. And actually, word for word, everything that you've described, um, that's exactly what I do now. I don't know if you want to label it as something. We can just call it eating. But from what I've seen from <laughs> yeah. an educational standpoint, it's like it's like it is called like, quote unquote, intuitive eating. And it's kind of a tricky word because like what intuitive eating to one person can also look drastically different from another person. So it's kind of a loose word, in my opinion, or a loose category. But I think it's important that you're talking about this because I, for me, at least, I really like I. I also tracked macros for a long time, and personally, I think, and I don't know if you disagree. I think it is helpful for anyone wanting to help their fitness goals to like at least track or become knowledgeable of like the contents of their food, because intuitive eating kind of falls apart if only you base off of, um, you know, how you know full full or not you are, because you could be eating. You know, it it just really helps to sort of. Um, at least from a calorie perspective, uh, learn how to be full with also foods that are kind of lower in calorie and healthy and things like that. But I don't, I really love your approach. And it's something that for me, I've been doing that for a year now. And it's funny, I've actually put on muscle mass, like I stopped tracking protein, like literally word for word, every single thing that you're doing, I'm doing. And um, because I just got tired of tracking macros. It was so first of all, it was so time consuming. It was very helpful. I'm not shitting against it, but it was so time consuming and it was so honestly like, and this, I know this isn't the case for everyone. This is just from my own personal experience. I was just building such a, I was, I was getting anxiety, man, from like, oh, I have to hit this number. Or if I go a little bit over or, or I can only afford to go a little bit over, a little bit under. And I just kind of did an experiment. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to just like everything that we just discussed, I'm going to try it out and see what happens. And I realized that like, the worst thing that happens is at least for me, uh, I either get a little bit leaner or a little bit, you know, bigger. And then, you know, every month or so I, I know that I can just sort of, you know, eat a little bit less or eat foods that are a little bit less calorie dense and I end up losing weight. So it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a way of dieting that I think, I don't even want to say dieting, man. It shouldn't be thought of as a diet. Like that's the problem in the first place. It's really just a way of eating. Um, <laughs> It's it's sad, bro. It, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad, and there's there's you know it's it's hard coming from like a bodybuilder and then trying to transition into being balanced. You know, it's it's. Uh, but it, thank you for talking about that, man. I think think uh, for people who have maybe been tracking their macros for a while, consider consider trying that out. Um, but let me ask you this, uh, Brendan: Did, Was it besides from a diet perspective? Diet is is very important in, in training and. You know, I, I remember reading posts and says that like, you know, you, 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 you're not training like, you know, twice a day, five times a week, you know, you're, you're training a little uh, less than that. And, but besides just from fitness and diet alone, from like a body image perspective, um, what do you think has been helpful in, I guess, uh, not being so obsessive over being shredded or, you know, really deriving a lot of your self-worth from how you look. What do you think has been helpful for that in your own journey? 
I think the most important thing that not only myself, but anyone can implement when they're trying to kind of get a little less obsessive about their body image is to set goals that are completely unrelated to the way you look. So goals that have nothing to do with trying to grow your arm or grow your booty or whatever it might be. Um, but goals like trying to lift more weight or trying to eat some more vegetables this week or trying to spend some more time working on your business uh, and just take a lot of your focus and your mental bandwidth away from goals that focus on vanity and, and put them into any other goal, essentially. Can you give a concrete example? Well, for me, the biggest thing was switching to powerlifting. So I switched to powerlifting and it was like the best thing I ever did because it was, well, A, I found it to be way more fun, but obviously that's just a personal thing. But the progression is just more objective. So if if I deadlift 400 this week and then 405 next week, it's a proof, like a tangible piece of evidence that I got better. Whereas a lot of times when you're you're trying to be a bodybuilder or whatever, you're just flexing in the mirror, kind of like, did my arm grow a millimeter? I don't know. I think it <laughs> yeah. looks pretty swole right now. Um, so I, I liked powerlifting for that reason. It was like just tangible proof of progression. Uh, and it took all my focus away, um, from my body because it just didn't matter anymore. So in order for me to be good at powerlifting, I didn't have to look exceptional. I just have to move a lot of weight. Um, so my focus immediately shifted to being like, if I want to win at this, I just have to focus on moving lots of weight. And, and I kind of just forgot about my body because I was so focused on just getting stronger. And so obviously that was one thing. And then working on my business was another thing. And I just really had no bandwidth left to focus on what I looked like. And it's neat. But the other day I, I was at someone's house and I walked past the mirror in their bathroom and I didn't have a shirt on. And I was like, I look really lean right now. And I remember saying to the person, like, I was like, I don't think I've looked at myself like, naked or with a shirt off or whatever to actually look at myself in so long um, that I was actually like shocked when I walked past the mirror. And it's weird because I get out of the shower every single day and there's a mirror in the bathroom, but I, I truthfully had not looked at myself in so long. And I found that really cool, really neat. Um, that it's healthy, just, man. it's Good completely. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and I don't find it. There's nothing really against looking at yourself in the mirror, but at all. But it was just a neat no, realization to notice like, that it was just yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Dude, that's, that's so cool. What does it mean to pursue a stronger self? I think that you could be progressing in, say, your business, but you decide to maybe relax a little bit on the relationship front, like I did for that one year. But I think it means that you don't have to be progressing at all things all the time, but always moving forward at something in your life. Indefinite progression is is the first thing that comes to mind for me. Mm, I really like that, man. Yeah, and I think you really embody that too with just everything in your life. And so, yeah, th thanks for sharing that, man. So then the last question I want to ask is, you know, where can people follow you on social media? And, and of course, whatever you say, I'll just link in the description so people can check that out. And what are like some of the cool services that you offer? Because I'm sure that people are like, man, dude, this guy's super cool. I think I might want to work with him. Like where can people find more information about that? Yeah, so as far as social media goes, I, I pretty much am heavily on Instagram and Facebook. I have the two main, I have three Instagram accounts, but we don't have to talk about the quote page. So my main one, Brendan T. Lund, and then I have Brains for Brawn, which is the fitness one. And then on Facebook, I think the best resources for people are 
my personal business page, which is Brendan Lund, or the online trainer community, which is a pretty cool, pretty cool thing if if I do say so myself. Um, it's just a free community with over two thousand coaches in it, and we all just help each other move forward essentially and win. So I put a lot of trainings in there and and try to help people be the best coaches they can be. So it's a good spot. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, I just appreciate you being real and authentic on this podcast as well as your content. I think we need that in this day and age of social media. And I just just keep doing you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's it's nice that you created such a safe space uh, for people to open up and be vulnerable. And, and I really appreciate that. Hey, guys. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Stronger Self Radio. If you liked what you heard, please give this podcast a good review as doing this will help get it out to more people and help grow this movement as a whole. If you want to find out more information, go to thestrongerselfmovement.com to find out how you can get involved today. Join the movement. Together, we can pursue a stronger self.